You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning. It's good to be together. Um, Isn't it great to hear testimonies of healing amongst us? Isn't it exciting? And uh, trusting God for many more in the weeks and months to come. Um, My very simple piece of wisdom when it comes to healing is you've got to take some shots if you want to score some goals. And um, so to encourage you all, actually, this is not, as you heard earlier, this is, this is no, uh, no one special praying for people here. It's simply that we, we just saw someone sick and prayed for them. Um, and you've actually got to take some shots if you want to see some goals in this. It's as simple as that. And uh, I'm, I believe that we take some more shots, we're going to get some more goals. We're going to see some more people healed. So, okay, we're going to be looking at faith today, what faith looks like. Um, If you have a Bible with you, why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is towards the back of your Bible, towards the end. And uh, this morning, talking about faith in the context of an adventure that we are on as a church. If you haven't been with us for long, um, then you may not know that over the last two or three years, we've grown quite a lot as a church. Um, Two or three years ago, this would have been as many people as we had in the church, maybe a little less than this. And now we have another service as well. And uh, God is really growing us. It's really exciting. And uh, over these years, as we've seen God do this amongst us, um, as, an, as elders, we've been thinking, well, okay, what does the long term look like? Um, what does God want for us? And at this time, we don't believe that God is calling us to um, plant churches in other locations around Ipswich at this time. He may do in the future. Uh, nor do we feel that it's the right move to go to multiple locations within Ipswich. We believe that God is leading us to... Um, seek him for a larger premises. And that's the journey that we've been on. Many of you will have come along to our prayer and vision nights uh, over the last year and have prayed with us and have heard news and we've prayed and prayed and prayed. And uh, you would have received a letter, if you remember here, uh, you will have received a letter about a week ago um, just saying that we have made an offer on the former Odeon Cinema, which is in the centre of town. And uh, we are in negotiations to try and purchase it. Um, We're just awaiting basically our most recent offer, and we believe it's in the ballpark of what the owner of the cinema wants, and we're awaiting a response on that. So this morning, I want to talk about faith in that context, because um, if we are to purchase uh, that cinema, uh, and if we're to um, do all that God is, gonna, uh, is calling us to do, and has clearly said that we will do in this town uh, and beyond, then it's going to require faith. And so I want to take us through uh, a passage about faith, which is in Hebrews chapter 11. So Let's turn there. We're going to read a couple of verses. Verses 1 and 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And what follows in this passage is a list of various Old Testament characters who exercised faith in various ways. We see people like Joseph, we see Moses, we see David, we see a bunch of other people uh, who exercised faith. They trusted God and, uh, and were commended for it. But really, the, the standout character in this list is Abraham. The standout is Abraham. He gets a lot of uh, airtime in this uh, hall of fame. And uh, this is who we're going to learn from today. And Abraham, uh, we see the first in-depth biography of any person in the Bible is Abraham. So Genesis chapter 11 through to Genesis chapter 25 is all about Abraham's life. And what you need to know about Abraham is he was married to a lady called Sarah. And uh, at an old age, at the age of 75, for Abraham, 65 for Sarah, they were still without children. And this uh, would be a big deal in this culture, but it was an even bigger deal for them. 
Uh, this was a culture in which you received your identity from your ancestors and you received your security for your future through your descendants. And they had no descendants. And it would have been a, a real shame for them. People would have uh, looked upon them with scorn. Uh, it was really painful for them. They had no kids. Um, if you want an illustration of that, and this kind of gives the game away a little bit, Abraham eventually uh, has a son and uh, his grandson, Jacob, he and his wife uh, are struggling to conceive. And his wife says, God, give me a child or kill me. That's kind of the, the situation they were in. This is how big a deal it was for them. So Abraham and Sarah, they've got no kids. They're old. And then God intervenes. He comes to them and he says to Abraham, count the stars. The God who made all of the stars says to Abraham, count the stars. And he makes him a promise that his offspring, of which he had none at that time, would be more numerable than the stars. The God of creation became a God of covenant, that he would intervene with humanity and make covenant promises to human beings. Krish Kandaya writes this, the cosmic universe-creating God becomes intimately involved in the life of an elderly couple living in an out-of-the-way corner of a major landmass in the northern hemisphere of the third rock from a pretty ordinary star in a forgotten backwater of one of the spiral arms of the Milky Way. God intervened with this old couple, this couple that they were, they were materially wealthy, but there wasn't much else to say about them. In their culture, they were looked down upon because they didn't have kids. And God intervenes. And in Genesis chapter 12, we see God say this to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So the promise here, God's going to bless his descendants. He's going to make him into a great nation. And that nation would be a great blessing to the world. This is the promise that God has made to Abraham. And then after that moment, there's a 25-year wait. It wasn't the case that at that moment, uh, Sarah suddenly became pregnant and Everything was, uh, was good. No, there was a 25-year wait. Abraham's now 100 years old, just received his card from the queen, and uh, Sarah's 90, and finally, finally, Isaac is born. Finally, after such a long wait. It seems like a fairy tale ending. It seems like this is kind of a legendary story of the birth of a nation, and it is. But we know that it doesn't end there, or many of us will know it doesn't end there. Their mourning has been turned into dancing. It's an incredible story of God's provision, but it doesn't end there. Now, before we carry on with the story, there's a couple of lessons for us about faith from Abraham's life. Firstly, Abraham, as we see in Hebrews 11, by faith he was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. He considered him faithful who made the promise. Abraham was as good as dead, we see in chapter 11, verse 12. He was as good as dead. But he believed that God could do it, even though uh, Abraham and certainly Sarah were way past childbearing age. There was something incredible about the way that Abraham believed God. Year after year, as seasons passed, as winter came by, as spring came by, Abraham would have been reminded, okay, this promise hasn't come through for me yet. God has promised it to me. He's intervened in our life, and yet this promise hasn't come through yet. And yet, he remained steadfast in his faith in God's faithfulness. Our faith, friends, 
is in God's faithfulness, that he's a promise-keeping God, that he's a God who doesn't go back on what he promises, that he doesn't kind of just say, I didn't really mean that, or things have changed, and, uh, and now I- I've actually changed my mind, and sorry, I'm coming out of this covenant that I've made with you. No, he's a promise-keeping God, that even though we are fleeting and we change our minds, and we, he's a promise-keeping God, he's a covenant-keeping God. And friends, God has made promises to you and I. He might have uh, spoken through someone else to bring you a prophetic word. We believe in the gift of prophecy in this church, that God will speak to people for situations, for whole churches maybe. God will speak and, uh, and, and intervene and give people prophetic words for their encouragement. But even if you haven't received a prophetic word, there are hundreds of promises in his word that apply to you. Jesus said that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all else will be given to us. Everything we need will be ours as we seek him first. The Apostle Paul writes, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All of our needs will be supplied because God is incredibly rich in glory. That we will not go without. Friends, that's a promise for you and I this morning. That's a promise for you and I. He has said to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. These are promises that God does not go back on. Even though we may change, even though we may fail, this is a promise he doesn't break. He is a covenant-keeping God. He makes promises to us. So faith considers God faithful to keep his promise. Our faith is in the faithfulness of God. Another thing that faith looks like here is trusting God through delay. As I've said already, Abraham trusted through serious delay, 25 years of delay. Sometimes in delay we can doubt God's goodness. Sometimes we can doubt, did he really mean it? Sometimes in in delay we can think, does he really care for me? Does he know what I'm going through? Well, the Apostle Peter writes in in 2 Peter chapter 3, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. We need to understand that God is not like us. In no way is he like us. We are in an instantaneous culture. We want instant gratification, don't we? It used to be that we'd have to wait another week before our favorite TV program was on. But now, through the wonder of Netflix or Amazon Prime, we can say, no, I want to watch that episode right now. And I'm going to watch another one. And I'm going to binge watch until ridiculous time of the night because I can do it and I don't have to wait. Or we can go to a fast food chain and think, I I do not... uh, I deserve to not have to wait more than five minutes for my meal, so I'm going to go and buy a meal from a fast food chain. We can find ourselves in despair in a queue when we've been there just for a few minutes thinking, why me? Why me, God? Why am I having to queue for five minutes to get to the counter at this shop? We are in this instantaneous culture, and our God is not like us. To him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And Timothy Keller writes this, If we impose our understanding of schedule and timing on Jesus, then we will struggle to feel loved by him. If we impose our understanding of timing and schedule on him, then we'll struggle to feel loved by him. We'll think, God, you don't really care for me. You You don't know about my needs. You don't know what I'm going through here. We need to trust him even in delay. That's what faith looks like. Now, I've heard uh, preachers uh, butcher this uh, story about uh, Abraham and Sarah and say, God is just out to meet our needs. He's out to uh, give us all that we could ever desire. He's there to make our dreams come true. 
Now, as we're going to see in a moment, it's not quite as simple as that. Thank God he's not just about fulfilling our personal dreams. He's not just about fulfilling our personal desires. He's got something better for us. He wants to catch us up in his great plan. He wants to catch us up in his great mission in the world. That's what he's doing here with Abraham and Sarah. He's not just uh, fulfilling some dreams for them. He's wanting to catch them up in his mission in the world. How do we know that? Well, we see that the story doesn't end there. This is only half the story. God doesn't meet our nice, neat expectations in this story. We're about to see that God is a God who gives the impossible, but then demands the impossible. He's a God who needs nothing, but asks for everything. That's what we're going to see in this story. So Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, let's read on together. Verse 2, this is God speaking to Abraham. He says this, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. He's quite clear, isn't he, here? Take your son, your only son, whom you love. This is very clear. He's asking the impossible of Abraham. There's three death sentences here. There's Abraham's aspirations. There's Sarah's pride of being a mother. And then there's this dear, this dear boy, Isaac. We don't know how old Isaac was. I think we can often think he was a very young boy, but the Bible sort of refers to him as a lad. He could have been anywhere between 5, 15. We don't know. But we know that he's going to have to be sacrificed. It was easy enough for Abraham to trust God when it came to going to a new country. It was easy enough for Abraham to say, yeah, I can do that, because it wasn't much to lose. But now his whole future's at stake. He was considered blessed by God because he had a child at such an old age. But now... To those looking on, they'd consider him cursed by God because he would have no son suddenly. He'd have no child, no future. So what's going on here? Why is God doing this? I want to suggest this, that, it's, that God wants for us to prioritize the giver over the gift. He wants us to prioritize the giver over the gift. Sometimes he asks us to give up that which seems impossible so that we can appreciate all that he has for us in and of himself, that we will see that he is enough. Sometimes he takes away things from us so that we can see that all we need is found in him, not in dreams and aspirations that we have, not in possessions that we have, but all that we need is found in him. Isaac was a good gift from God, but good gifts can sometimes become the ultimate thing in our life. They can become the things that we worship. And by worship, I don't mean sing songs to, I mean put first in every way. I mean, exalt higher than anything else in our lives. That's what worship means. So Abraham's choice between God and Isaac forces him to recognize that the giver is more important than the gift. God, he pursues our affections. Jesus said that the most important commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God wants our affections, and that might sound very needy of God, might sound very arrogant of God, but that's the very best thing for us, is when we have him in our uh, highest affection, that's the very best thing for us. Because when we place anything else on a pedestal in that way, when we place anything else as the object of our worship, that's ultimately destructive for us. Even good things, even good things like children, even good things like our job. When we place those things in the place of God, it's ultimately destructive for us. And God, he pursues our affection. He wants us to see that he is better. And sometimes he does this through providing for us. 
Sometimes he does it through withholding provision for a time. And sometimes he does it through the withdrawal of a provision that he's given us so that we can be reminded, oh, he's the real deal. It's not about something that he's given us. He's the real deal. He's the one we are satisfied by. Sometimes it's hard to give God our affections because something or someone else has our utmost affection. And God will sometimes shake things a little bit so that we realize that it's him who we're to love first and foremost. Friends, when we love God first and foremost, then everyone else will actually be more loved. Does that make sense? Everyone else will be more loved when we love God first and foremost. He'll have his rightful place. Everyone else will be crushed if we try and worship them. Everyone else will, will fail because there are expectations of them. If they're the person that we place our utmost affection in, then ultimately they will fail because they're not God. So we'll love people better, we'll love people more effectively when we are loving God, first and foremost. And this is what's going on here. What is it that we have a tight grip on? What is it that we say, God, if you ever took that away from me, then I would never, I, I wouldn't worship you. What is it that we have such a tight grip on? We said, it, it, as long as I've got that, then I worship you, God. What is it that we have a tight grip on? It might be a it might be material possession, it might be a, an ambition, it might be a, a person. So when God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he knows that in being prepared to forego something good, Abraham's going to find something even greater. He's going to find greater intimacy with God. He's going to great, more greatly appreciate both the giver and the gift. A faith in God, a faith in God as the source of all of our satisfaction, that really pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If we, re- if we read on in that Hebrews 11 passage, that's exactly what it says in verse 4. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That, that When we believe that he is better than anything else the world can offer us, that really pleases him. Because we get sold a lot of stuff, don't we, that we've got to have, relationships we've got to have, things we've got to have, experiences we've got to have, places we've got to see. And when we say to God, no, I, I believe actually that you're better than all of that, And if I had none of that and still had you, I'd have everything that I could possibly need. I'd have everything that would possibly satisfy me because I have you. That's faith that really pleases God. And I think that's what's going on here with Abraham. So what does he do? We see he gets up immediately to set off on this journey to go and sacrifice his son. And then we're going to read uh, verses 4 to 14. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught up in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What more can we learn from Abraham about faith? Well, thirdly, we, we, we learn that Abraham's faith was rooted in relationship with God. It was rooted in relationship with God. It wasn't that God had suddenly come to Abraham out of no background or context whatsoever and just said, go and kill your son. That was not, it wasn't an out of the blue moment for Abraham. This was rooted in a long-term relationship with God. We see that Abraham sets off the next morning for Mount Moriah. We're not told of the intense agony that he would have gone through. He would have, it would have been horrible for him. Just imagine it here. If you're a parent or if you have a child that you love dearly, imagine the, the pain that he would have gone through knowing that this child was going to have to die. He would have been in absolute agony. He had th- a three-day journey to go on. And throughout that time, I can well imagine that he would have been pulling his hair out. He would have been sick to the stomach. This wasn't simply... Okay, God, you say jump, I say how high. This wasn't a stab in the dark kind of faith. This was rooted in relationship. He had already experienced God's provision in his life. He knew that God could and would still fulfill his promises to him. He knew that God was able to bring dead things to life. He brought Sarah's womb to life when it was dead. So you've got to see there was context here of a long-term relationship with God. Abraham was able to sacrifice this because he knew God. So whilst it was immensely challenging, it wasn't completely irrational for Abraham to trust God. Our experience informs our faith, right? Our experience of God informs our faith. When he asks us to do something that seems crazy or it seems like too much for us, our experience of him informs our faith. Just as our experience of crossing a road informs our faith. When we go to cross a road, anything could happen, right? The road could suddenly turn into super glue and you could walk onto the road and find yourself stuck and a steamroller inching towards you. That could happen. It's not probably in any of our experience has ever happened, but that could happen. It could be that gravity suddenly reverses and we end up getting chucked up into space as we go across the road. anything could happen as we go and cross the road, but because of our experience, we know that that kind of thing doesn't really happen much. And we can cross the road without having to put our fingers in our ears and close our eyes and just scream and leg it because our experience has informed our faith. And it's like that with God. Our experience of him should inform our faith. As we look to his word, as we see what he's like and how he deals with people, This should inform our trust in him. Timothy Keller again, he says this, Faith is not a vague sense that God will work it out. It comes from prayerful immersion in the word of God. It comes from being in his word and prayerfully reading his word and seeing the way that God has dealt with people in the past, looking at places like Hebrews 11 where there's all these heroes of the faith listed and seeing how God has dealt with them, how he's shown loving kindness to them, how he's shown them his provision, how he's always been just and right, that as we read of those stories and as we pray them through in our lives, that actually we would grow in our trust of God. But also that we would cast our mind back to 
the things that God has done for us in the past. This is what the, the Israelites did all the time. They called God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So as they said that phrase, they were reminding themselves of the faithfulness of God to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. They were reminding themselves of the stories every time they declared his name. And we need to be like that as well, that our experience would inform our faith, that our faith would be based in the context of a relationship. You know, God wants to draw us into a relationship of faith. He calls us into a relationship. I think many of us will have heard that said before in church. But the relationship is one of us trusting him. Ultimately, at the very outset, trusting him with our whole lives, trusting him with our salvation, saying, God, I can't save myself, so I I know that you're the only one who can, and I trust you for it. But then this faith is an ongoing faith that he calls us to. That is trusting him through thick and thin. We've sung this morning, haven't we? Blessed be your name in the road marked with suffering. That there's pain in the offering. Or in the land that is plentiful. That in either place we, we, we trust in God. We believe him. We have faith in his faithfulness. And this is the relationship that God wants to draw us into. That each one of us, if we know Jesus, he really wants to grow your faith throughout your life. For each one of you. He wants your faith to be enlarged. He wants your faith to grow as you grow and mature. That you'd see, oh God, you've, as you look back at all of the way he's dealt with you in your past, as you look into his word, that your faith would grow. As you step out and take risks for him that you feel he's calling you to take, and you see he provides for you, he wants us to grow in faith in the context of relationship. Fourthly, Abraham's faith wasn't without reason. He had reason that he was as good as dead. He'd considered this. He considered the facts. It wasn't denying uh, the facts that, you know, it wasn't denying the facts at all. It was denying their influence in his faith. He, he looked at the facts and he saw here that he was as good as dead. But in Isaac's very existence, Abraham had already experienced God's overcoming the power of death. He considered some things. There was no disengaging of his brain here. Sometimes we think to have faith, we've got to turn off our brains. There was no disengaging of his brain here. He had plenty of time to think this through on the journey, three days. But he knew that God had the authority to demand the impossible and to work the impossible, to perform great miracles. He had seen it, so he reasoned some things. It wasn't without reason Abraham's trust in God is a bit like the trust that we might put in a skilled surgeon. If you needed, some op- if you needed an operation and you got offered the choice of a psychopath um, delivering the operation or a skilled surgeon who over 40 years has earned their stripes, I think that you might choose the skilled surgeon. This is who God is and he's, he's calling us to trust in him because he's a skilled surgeon. He's someone who knows what he's doing. And so Abraham's faith wasn't without reason here. He trusted that God knew what he was doing. He said to himself, God can be trusted. I'll do what he says. So as we embark upon a bit of an adventure as a church, really, a massive adventure, as we look to try and secure this building that we're looking to buy, it seems unreasonable for us because we're a small church, some 350 people, and we haven't got a lot of money, and we're not a wealthy church And we think, this is massive. This is massive. God is calling us to have faith in him that he can do the impossible. I am certain of this, that God will not settle for us simply doing what is humanly possible in Ipswich. I'm certain of that. He's glorified when we do things that are not humanly possible. 
Because we could do a few good things here, couldn't we? There's some nice people here, some smiley people here. We could do some good things here in Ipswich. But God will not settle for us doing what is possible in our own strength. He wants us to rely on him. He wants us to come to him in prayer and say, God, provide for us miraculously. Come through for us miraculously. Because that's when he gets glorified. When he does things that we cannot possibly do. I'm certain that he wants to do things in this town and in the nations of the world that when we are in our dotage, when we're on our deathbed, we'll look back and say, wow, God did amazing things. Not 5,000 years ago, not 2,000 years ago, but in my lifetime, God did incredible miracles. God did things that we could not do in our own strength. You know, Jesus, he did miracles as he uh, walked on this planet to reveal something of what God is like, to reveal something of God's heart. Ultimately, he revealed what God is like on the cross. He revealed the love of God. He revealed the righteousness of God. He revealed God's justice against our sin. But in his life, as he went about healing people, he was revealing something to them of what God is like. If we don't see miracles, then we haven't seen the whole, we haven't been, it hasn't been revealed to us what God is, that the whole uh, kind of glory of what he's like, because he's generous and compassionate and powerful and able to work miracles in our lives. He's a miracle working God. And it's through miracles that he wants to reveal what he's like. We're believing for many miracles in the months and years to come. Are you believing for that? I'm believing that when we ask people on Sundays, who's experienced the healing, that we're going to have 15, 20 people saying, I want to share. I want to share. And we might have to uh, video people to try to cut it down a little bit. Because God's going to do things like that amongst us. I believe that we're going to see people set free from uh, addiction. We're going to see people brought out of poverty in miraculous ways. Because Jesus will be glorified through that. And we'll say, you know... All that I saw in my life, it can only have been God. It can't have been the clever leaders at Hope Church. It can't have been the wonderful members of Hope Church. It can only have been God. That's what I want to see. I want to step out and ask God for things that are impossible for us. And he has promised us great things as a church. I've got here a document, 11 pages long, of prophetic words from men and women given over the years to us as a church, where God has promised big things to us, some of which we've already seen come to pass I looked at it yesterday and I thought, yeah, that's happening, that's happening, that's happening, that's not yet happened. God has promised us big things. He said to us that we would be a substantial church. He said that we'll be a great big ship laden with mercy and help to the community. He said that we'll be an international church with an international makeup and an international outlook. That we'll be a training base, that people would come to us, that they would receive training and they would be sent on. That we'd be an aircraft carrier with hundreds on deck preparing planes to be sent to the nations. He's promised us big things here, friends. This requires faith. It requires us laying things down. It requires us saying, God, I've got my own plans, but they're going to be put to one side because I want to, ultimately, I want to serve your plans in this church. I want to serve your plans in this area. God, I, I, I have finances and I have resources here and I want them to go into what you're doing I could put them towards some things that might be fun, but ultimately these are your finances, these are your resources. It requires the miraculous. So, many of you will know that in two weeks' time we are going to give into a special offering where we are hoping to raise a further £100,000 towards our future building plans. 
That seems like a mammoth target for us. We don't have any millionaires kicking around that I'm aware of. Make yourself known if you're here and you're a millionaire. This is a mammoth task for us. And yet I believe that God can provide for us in this. I believe that he can come through for us in this. But what it's going to require is each one of us, whether you've been coming to Hope Church for a few months or whether you've been coming for years and years and years, is to say, God, I trust you. I trust that you're going to provide for me. I'm going to give into this. I'm going to sow into your kingdom purposes because I believe that you've got great things here and my money can play a part in that happening. We're going to receive some special envelopes here that will enable us to uh, take them away and to think, how can I give into this offering in two weeks' time? What can I give? There'll be also an opportunity on there to pledge an amount of money that you might want to give regularly into the life of the church here. So you might already be giving regularly by standing order or into the buckets that come round each week. There's an opportunity on the reverse of the form to pledge to increase your giving Say, I want to give an additional amount per month into the life of the church here. It might be that you want to start giving, and you can circle that option on there, and we'd love to get in touch with you and help you with that. So these envelopes are going to go around now. I want you to take one home with you. I want you to pray, and I want you to ask God, how much can I give? And it's going to require sacrifice for each one of us, and sacrifice looks really different for each person. For some here, sacrifice may look like 50 pounds, for some here, sacrifice may look like 5,000 pounds. It's going to be different for each person. But in two weeks' time, we're going to give big into this offering, believing that God has got big things for us. And uh, I believe that we're going to see God do incredible things amongst us. We can trust God. You know, we have got an even greater track record with God than Abraham had. Okay? That seems like a bit of a ridiculous thing to say because Abraham literally heard God. He literally heard the audible voice of God. And maybe some of us could say we've heard that, but not many of us. We have an even greater track record with God than Abraham. God had provided a son for Abraham and Sarah. He provided Isaac. But God has given us his son. He's given us his one and only son. He has sent Jesus that we might be forgiven and freed from our shame, all of our sin and our guilt. He's, he sent his only son so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know God as our father, so that we could know him now and in eternity. So we, friends, have an even greater track record than Abraham in this. God can be trusted. Paul concludes in Romans 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The logic here is this. God has done all these things for us, and the ultimate thing is this. He has sent his one and only son for us. How much much more will he make sure that we have all that we need? How much more will he make sure that as we are generous with our money, as we put him first with our money, how much more will he ensure that we have everything else we need? That's the conclusion that Paul comes to here. And it's not even just about money. It's everything else that we might consider a need here. If God hasn't spared Jesus from us, how how can we ever doubt his generosity to us? How can we ever doubt his goodness to us? And Jesus, we know, he wasn't spared at the last minute like Isaac. No one came and took his place. On the Mount of Calvary, which is right next to Mount Moriah, 
Jesus was sacrificed. He went through with it. He became an offering in our place. He took our sin and our shame. And that's how we're going to finish up today, by celebrating that. We're going to take the bread and the juice that's around the room, and we're going to remember that God is a God who can be trusted because he gave his son. And we're going to celebrate what this means for us. It means forgiveness. It means freedom. And it might be here this morning that you are you're checking out church for the first time and you're thinking, these, these, these people are crazy. <laughs> or you might think, what, you know, what is going on here? I want to tell you here that you are more loved than you could possibly ever imagine. You are, so, you are more loved than you could possibly ever know. God loves you. He loves you. And he's shown you his love by sending his son for you. Because you're more loved than you could possibly know, but you're more sinful than you could possibly know. And you need to have that sin dealt with and removed so that you can know God as your father. And I'm going to pray in a moment, and maybe you'd like to pray in your heart with me. And if you've prayed that, then I want to invite you to just, wherever's nearest you, come and grab the bread and the juice and celebrate Jesus' body being broken for us and his blood spilt for us that meant our salvation. And this is not... As I say, pretty much every time we have communion, this is not necessarily a somber affair. Yes, we, we want to dwell on what Jesus has done for us, but we also celebrate that he is alive. We celebrate that he didn't remain in the grave. And so why don't we, just uh, as we stand in a moment, start to take the bread and the juice. The band are going to lead us in, a, in the final song in a moment. And let's celebrate together that he's a God who has done, he's moved heaven and earth to save us. And he can be trusted. Should we stand together? Thank you, Father, that took our sin and our shame upon himself on the cross, that we could be completely forgiven, totally forgiven. Not one sin that's impossible to be blotted out by the blood of Christ. Not one sin. Thank you, Father. You might be here this morning, friends, and you might think, well, that one sin that I've committed, that could never be dealt with by God. No, the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So thank you, Father, we can be completely clean in your sight. We can be completely forgiven. And we now say, Father, we, in light of your generosity to us, in light of the scandalous grace and mercy that you've shown us, we say we trust you. Lord, we say that you are to be trusted because you are a God who has not withheld your very best from us. And we want to say, Lord, receive our very best. Lord, all that we have is yours, Lord everything that we have Lord we give it to you we say it's not ours we're not holding on to this this is it's all yours and we want to honour you with our finances so we pray that in two weeks time that you would do a great miracle amongst us and uh, Father God we we just love you we, we want to do your will in our lives we want to see you do great miracles we want to be telling our children and our children's children of the greatness of God and stories that we have for ourselves, not just those that we heard from generations gone past, but stories for ourselves of your provision. Thank you, Lord God, that the Israelites, they celebrated the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these men who saw incredible faithfulness. Lord, I pray that we would see even greater faithfulness from you in the years to come. I know we will, Lord. I pray that we would see it as we step out in faith, trusting in you. And if you're here this morning, friends, just with our eyes closed, why don't you just, if you're, if you're not a Christian, you have never ever given yourself to God before and just say, I'm yours. Why don't you do that now? Honestly, don't, 
don't worry about sounding fancy. God is really, he's turned off by fancy sounding prayers. He, he wants you to come to him as you are. Just say to him, God, I, I want to know your forgiveness. I want to know you as my father. Accept what Jesus has done for you. Say to God, I accept that this free gift of, of forgiveness is mine now in Jesus. Why don't you say, I give myself to you, God. I trust you with my whole life. I want to get baptized to say that my old life's gone now. Just talk to him where you are. As we sing now, just engage with him. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.